Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. We are so glad you are joining us midweek. Today's message is part four in Pastor DJ Ritchie's series in the book of Galatians. This message was given during our Sunday evening service on September 13th, 2020. We want to encourage you to join us in person at one or all of our services. Our doors are open Sunday mornings at 1030, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, and Wednesdays at 645. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. And when you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this message would be an encouragement to you as you follow Jesus. So grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. What name is on your helmet tonight? What name is on your helmet? That's a loaded question. A lot of reaction. I realize what state I'm in. I grew up here. I know that this is not Steeler country. I know that there are some Steeler fans here, uh, like myself. I don't know how many of you watch in the NFL this year yet, but if you have, you've noticed that things are a little different this year than they have been in years past, and that's not just because of COVID and because uh, the stadiums aren't filled with screaming fans. That's also because of some virtue signaling that the NFL has unfortunately decided to engage in this year. And when I ask you what name is on your helmet, I'm asking because this year the NFL is allowing players to place names on, uh, this is just a a kid's helmet, this isn't a real NFL helmet obviously, but in a real helmet there's uh, some padding back here and the NFL is allowing players, if they would like, to put uh, specific names on the backs of their helmets to honor certain people. Now, they're not allowed to just put any names. It has to be on a set list, a pre-approved list of names. And unfortunately, that, name is, that, that list is very limited. And many of the names on that list, uh, well, I'll say at least some of the names on that list are names of criminals, Names of uh, violent, in some cases, criminals, not in every case. But can't put the name of Jesus on the back of your helmet, according to the NFL. Can't put just any name. Has to be one that has been pre-approved. And and for the most part, with uh, one or two exceptions, they are uh, the names of BLM-approved people, George Floyd, uh, others. So whose name is going on your helmet tonight? Uh, I'm not telling you not to watch the NFL. I'm not saying that I won't watch the NFL ever again. I haven't been real excited uh, to watch the NFL this year when I see some of the names that people are placing on the backs of their helmets to honor Jacob Blake, men like that who um, shouldn't be honored by anybody. And sad when a major political candidate is honoring violent criminals and praising them, saying that she's proud of them, talking, of course, about Kamala Harris, um, saying that she's proud of this violent criminal. 
And the NFL has donated many, many millions of dollars to BLM, a Marxist organization. Don't take my word for that. Go to their own website. Listen to the interviews with the founders. More than that, it's a demonic movement. Don't take my word for that. That's not fear-mongering. That's not something I read off of a meme on somebody's Facebook page. Uh, I posted uh, not too long ago uh, uh, some Christian commentary on an interview, an interview that one of the founders of BLM gave in which she openly admits her own words, not somebody quoting her and writing it down, making some false accusation is, is very popular these days to make false accusations about what people said or, or did without any evidence. This isn't uh, some anonymous source. This is, in her own words, admitting that BLM is a, quote, spiritual movement. More than that, more than that, admitting that she herself speaks to spirits calls one of them by name, talks about her relationship that she has with this spirit. And even more than that, admits that the reason that at BLM activities, let's call them, the reason that they do the say his name, say her name chant is because they are summoning spirits. They are trying to summon the spirits of the dead. She admits it. She's, it's her own words. It's her own voice. Don't take my word for it. This is a demonic movement. And yet, many are bending over backwards to win their approval, to virtue signal, to get uh, on their side, to try to get their approval so they don't have to endure the wrath of BLM. But, you know, I, I'm not shocked when a secular organization that's all about money like the NFL or some of the professional athletes, virtue signal, uh, I think that they're going to find out that it's going to hurt their bottom line more than it's going to help it. But that shouldn't surprise us when worldly organizations largely run by non-Christians uh, don't understand the spiritual combat, don't understand the spiritual realities of what they're doing. But it is disappointing. It's disheartening when I see Christians who want to wear Christ on their helmet on one side and put the name of a demonic organization on the back of their helmet. They want to walk with one foot in the kingdom of God, one foot in the kingdom of darkness. They want to talk about being a Christian and yet defend organizations like Clanned Parenthood that targets minority communities and executes unborn minority children and Caucasian children. Color doesn't matter. The ethnicity doesn't matter. The life matters. The soul matters. That they butcher these children and uh, many Christians want to try to hurdle the fence and straddle the gate and walk on both sides and talk about their church and talk about their relationship with God and yet support these 
demonic institutions whose name is on your helmet? Are we trying to play for more than one team? Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't. Many of us try. Many of us try. Even as Christians, we try to serve the God of the Bible and the God of Wall Street. But we cannot please two masters. One of my favorite historical events is the confrontation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And if there were a list of Old Testament historical events that I could go back and witness firsthand. Creation, of course, and the parting of the Red Sea and the collapsing of the Red Sea on Pharaoh's armies. David versus Goliath. Many, many events, historical events, I would love to have witnessed. This is near the top, though, the confrontation of Elijah with the prophets of Baal. And do you remember what Elijah said to the people of Israel who were there, who were gathered to witness this confrontation, this contest? Why do you halt between two opinions? Why are you stuck trying to serve two different gods? If God is God, then serve Him. If Baal's God, serve Baal. But you can't serve both. And Christians, we can't serve both. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You can't be a God-pleaser and a man-pleaser. And you may not uh, want to be associated with the demonic elements of certain organizations like BLM, Clan Parenthood, but you can't serve God and the devil. Paul said to the Corinthians, I don't want you to eat at the table of demons. You can't eat at the table of God at church and take uh, the, the Lord's table and then turn around on Monday morning and fellowship with demons. Amen. Can't do that. He said to them in 2 Corinthians, you can't be unequally yoked. You can't serve God in Belial, which is a, another name for uh, the devil. So we have to make a choice. And as we go back to the book of Galatians tonight, Galatians chapter 1, I just want to remind you that we need to make a choice. What helmet are we going to wear? Because in the kingdom of God, you don't get to put anybody's name on your helmet but Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the only name that goes on your helmet. And he will not allow any other names on the back of your helmet. He must be first. Jesus first. Or he is not. Or he is not happy <laughs> with your choices. He's not. So, let's go back to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Let's go back to Paul's testimony. Remember, as we go back to Galatians, chapter 1, that Galatians is all about living the resurrected life. It's about living out the gospel, living in the awareness of the reality of the gospel, living that awareness out in our lives. The gospel, of course, is defined in uh, part 1 of this book, in the first five verses. Paul defines it as who Jesus is, the raised Lord in Christ the resurrected God-man, the only way, the only one anointed of the Father to be the plan of salvation. 
And what did he do? What did Jesus do? He gave himself for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. We must recognize that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves, but that Jesus Christ paid the sin debt for all mankind, that he paid my sin debt, and I can be forgiven, and I can have new life. I can have eternal life in Christ. And, and he did it, why? To deliver us from the present evil age. He did it for God's glory. This is, this is what brings glory to God. When people come to Christ, Amen. through Christ, the only way to the Father. And then he, in verses 6 through 10, spends some time defending the gospel. And then in uh, chapter 1, verse 10 through chapter 2, Paul gives us his personal testimony. Now this section, this part of the book, the, really the first two chapters are about living in God's favor, living in response to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have received grace, Paul says, we must stop living like a man pleaser. We must start living like a God pleaser. If we have been saved, it is only because of God's grace. It is not anything of our works. And so if I am a child of God fully by His grace, zero effort on my part added to that, earned that, then I must live indebted to grace. I must live in response to that grace, seeking to please God. And so in verse 10, as we have seen, Paul asks really two questions. Who are you trying to persuade and who are you trying to please? Who are you living to persuade in your life and who are you living to please? Are you preaching the gospel of Christ and trying to persuade people to respond to the gospel? Or are you preaching one of the many gospels of men and trying to persuade God? God, uh, that blood of Christ that he shed on the cross, that he offered to you as the book of Hebrews described, just, God, just pour that blood out and just let anybody in. Let, just let all the good people in, God. Well, no, 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 not your definition of good, our definition of good. Let, let all the people that we think are good get to heaven, God. Uh, there is no persuading of God. Amen. There is none. There is one way, and it is Jesus Christ. And it is the only way, and it is the way offered to everyone. And that's why we, me we must please God and seek to persuade men. So we've seen a couple things about God-pleasers so far. Again, uh, God-pleasers defend the gospel. Uh, uh, somebody living as a God-pleaser, Paul says, is going to defend the gospel. Not, they're not going to desert it. They're not going to distort it. Some of us aren't guilty of distorting the gospel. Maybe we're guilty of not standing up for it like we should. Number two, we've seen that God-pleasers boast in the grace of God, not the works of man. My boast is the fact that I'm saved by God's grace. That's my boast. My boast is that I've been forgiven because of everything that Christ has done and nothing that I have added to it. His death for my sins, his resurrection has purchased my eternal life. I've received that offer of, of his grace. I've received it by faith, and that's, that's my boast. It's all him, none of me. So we've talked about Paul's conversion, and tonight we're going to begin to look at Paul's commitment. Paul's commitment. Let's pick it up in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 1. And let's read through chapter 2, verse 10, and then we'll make uh, some notes about uh, what it means to be a transformed messenger of the gospel. This is 
God Pleaser 2.0. And when we become saved, we need to become a God Pleaser. But we also need to grow as God Pleasers. And so last week, God Pleaser 1.0, that's conversion. Tonight, God Pleaser 2.0, that's commitment. Following the example of Paul's commitment. Let's look at verses 15. And following, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and uh, Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith, which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation, communicated unto them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now let's stop there for a moment, and let's talk about the first of three things we want to see tonight about about commitments that we need to make as God-pleasers. These are the three commitments that Paul says, I made as a God-pleaser, three commitments that you need to make. Number one, uh, God-pleasers commit to obedience. God-pleasers commit to obeying God. And here's what Paul wants to emphasize for us tonight. God-pleasers base their obedience on God's revelation, not man's affirmation. God-pleasers base obedience based on what God reveals in his word to do, not based on whether men approve of it or not. God-pleasers base their obedience on what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. Now, when we sense the leading of the Holy Spirit, we have to test the spirits. We have to make sure that it is the Holy Spirit who's leading us uh, to do or to say a certain thing. Uh, Maybe uh, the Holy Spirit leads you to give somebody a call this week, and you just feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to check in with somebody. Maybe uh, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, leads you to do something else. But When we sense that God is calling us to do something, when we see clearly in God's Word that God is commanding us to do something, a God-pleaser obeys. A God-pleaser doesn't check the wind. He doesn't check the weather first. He doesn't check with his friends to see if it will be acceptable, to see if they'll approve of it. A God-pleaser obeys. Now, there are two critical issues that are at work here in these verses that we just read. Uh, The first one is Paul's example. Paul's example for us. Paul has set an example for us uh, that we need to follow. And Paul has talked about uh, us following his example in several different passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Chapter 11, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 4. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3.17. Brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which which walk so as ye have us for an example. So Paul says, you need to be able to follow my example and... 
you need to find other people in your life that are also following my example that you can, you can imitate some things in their life as well. Now, ultimately, we follow Paul because he follows Christ. So ultimately, we're following Christ. Christ is the one we're following. Christ is the one we're seeking to emulate and imitate. But Paul says you can find some people who are following Christ. We, we did a series uh, uh, not too long ago now, but on Sunday mornings before we started our uh, study on Ecclesiastes, we uh, went through 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. We talked about uh, being an example, living as an example. And none of us are a perfect example in everything. None of us are a perfect example in anything, right? None of us are perfect in anything. But there are, there are men and women who are great examples of a Christian in prayer. You can imitate their prayer life. You can learn from them. You can talk to them. You can pray with them. There are Christians who are uh, a great uh, at setting the example in soul winning, in being a witness, a public witness. You can imitate their example in that area. There are Christians who are a great example of stewardship. You can imitate their example in that area. And so we can find others who are walking the walk and talking the talk, and we can imitate their examples. And Paul is one of God's prime examples for us to follow. Again, he was not a perfect man, but he was an amazing man. And uh, we don't have time tonight to uh, correlate all that we learn about Paul from the book of Galatians with all that we learn about him from the book of Acts and uh, Christian historians uh, debate certain aspects of how we uh, put the pieces of those puzzles of that puzzle together because we don't have all the pieces we just have some of the pieces and so it's hard uh, maybe some of you have tried to put together a, a puzzle with with a kid or a grandkid and, and realized you didn't have all the pieces and so it's hard to it's hard to get a puzzle together when you don't have all the pieces but um, but there is some interesting correlation here, but that, that's not our focus tonight. Our focus is on Paul's exemplary obedience. What are some things we can learn about obedience from the way that Paul obeyed? What are some ways we can imitate Paul's example of obedience? Well, we see four things about Paul's obedience in this passage and taking a quick look at Acts. Number one, it was immediate. Immediate obedience. Paul said, I didn't stop and get other people's opinions. Immediately, he says in Galatians 1. Here's what Acts chapter 9, verse 20 says. After his uh, repentance, after um, the prophet healed him and he repented of his sins and he followed the Lord in believers' baptism, verse 20 of Acts chapter 9, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Immediately he went to work. He didn't wait. Now, there, there was, uh, a, there was, that was a short period of time before he got kicked out of the city. And then after he got kicked out of the city, uh, Paul uh, did go immediately after that, not to Jerusalem, but into Arabia. Uh, again, uh, there's some debate over why he was in Arabia. Some say he was there to preach in Arabia. Some say he was there to prepare, to prepare for what God had called him to do. Uh, to relearn the scriptures that he had learned as a Pharisee. But regardless of why he was there, it was immediate obedience. Whether he was preparing or preaching, he was obeying. That's the point. And what we need to remember is delayed obedience is actually disobedience. Amen. Delayed obedience is disobedience. God doesn't tell us here's what I want you to do, and then 
tell us, eh, just take your time getting my will done. Just take your time. I'm eternal. Just take your time. That's not, that's not how God works. When God says do something, when God says deal with this sin in your life, you, you need to deal with it. When God says uh, you need to begin to uh, practice this uh, in an act of obedience in your life, you need to begin to practice it. Paul's obedience was immediate. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what am I waiting for? If there's something the Holy Spirit is convicting you of right now, something that you need to stop doing, or something you need to start doing, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So when God reveals something that he's called you to do, or reveals something he's called you not to do, to stop doing, and we put it off, we say, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll deal with that next week. I'll deal with that a year from now. I'll deal with that, you know, when we're in high school. I'll deal with that when I get to college, and then we're in college. I'll deal with that when I get married, and then we get married. I'll deal with that when we start having kids. Then we have kids. I'll deal with that when they're older. We just keep putting it off, putting it off. Uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. So number one, we have to obey immediately. Number two, Paul's obedience was also unconditional. Unconditional obedience. Uh, Paul stresses here that he waited three years before meeting with any of the other apostles. And the reason that he is saying that is because he wants to stress that he was not basing his ministry on the approval of man. Not even the apostles' approval. I mean, if there's anybody's approval you think you would want to seek, it would be the apostles. Paul says, no, 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 I, I didn't have to ask. I knew what God called me to do. Now, sometimes we don't know exactly. Sometimes we have to get together. We have to pray. We have to seek God's will together. Sometimes God's will isn't spelled out in the scriptures for us. You know, we can't just, uh, this isn't a, a divining rod. This isn't like uh, some type of occult ritual where we can just, you know, flip open a page and point to a verse and, okay, that's what God wants me to do today. That, that's not how this works. There are times when we, we're not sure and we do need to seek God's will. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about when God specifically reveals in his word, this is what I have called you to do. This is what I have called you not to do. You need to stop. And we, uh, we want to try to put conditions on it. Well, let me, let me see how my, what my friends will think. Let me get somebody's approval on that. Let me, listen, if God's called you to do something, uh, don't seek someone's approval before you begin obeying. And so the question I have to ask myself, is my service to God conditional on someone else's opinion? On someone else's opinion. You know, I, I struggled with my call to ministry for a long time, and, and a lot of that was because of some disobedience in my life, some things I wasn't dealing with, that I kept putting off dealing with. And so I was wrestling, but, but even when I was wrestling with it, what I was really wrestling with my call to, to being a pastor, what I was really wrestling with was my willingness I knew God had, had called me. I knew, I knew that he had, but I was, I, I was wrestling with my, my willingness, with my submission. And what is really interesting was um, when I was struggling, God would send me encouragers. God would send me encouragers to remind me, hey, you need, I'm praying for you. You need to be in the pulpit. You need to be teaching the Bible. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. But the moment that, I complete, that God completely broke me, 
And I was completely surrendered, and I said, 2005, May 2005, and I said, okay, God, that's it. I'm done fighting. This is what you've called me to do. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to take my hand off the plow. I'm not going to turn back. This is what you've called me to do. This is who you've called me to be. Then the devil began to send discouragers. Are you sure you're supposed to be a pastor? I think you should be in music. I think, I think God's really calling you to be in music. I don't think God's really calling you to be a pastor. And when somebody shares that with you right after you preach the sermon, and they come up to you and say, are you sure God's called you to be a preacher? Don't you think maybe, maybe God's leading you in, into music ministry? And, uh, but I knew. I knew. Because, see, God had, God had uh, I'd already been fighting that fight, and God had already broken me. And so I knew that wasn't the Lord. I knew that was the devil. I knew it was. Unconditional obedience. Number three, consistent obedience. This is where many of us stumble. Sometimes we get the immediate. Some, some of us are very emotional obeyers. And we get fired up. We make a decision. We make a commitment. Maybe it's at, maybe it's at camp or, or maybe it's uh, at church or maybe it's just, you know, you're uh, in the car and, and the Holy Spirit's speaking through you. You're listening to a sermon on the radio and, and, and the Holy Spirit just, just breaks you in that moment and you make a decision that you're going to do this or you're going to do that and you are immediate and you are unconditional and then after the emotion of it wears off and then after the newness of it wears off and then after the grind sets in and the opposition picks up, then you think maybe that wasn't really God. Maybe that's not what God has for me. Listen, Paul was consistent. He faithfully preached the faith, and his faithfulness was measured in years. In years. Not weeks, not even months. Years of faithfulness. Now, Paul's location changed. Sometimes where God has us minister changes. Sometimes the, the ministry in the church that God has us serving in, that sometimes that ministry changes. And so, just because you're in a ministry today doesn't mean that God has that specific ministry for you forever. But are you serving somewhere? Are you serving somewhere? Are you serving somehow? And we, we have uh, members who, uh, they can't be here for various reasons. And God has, I believe, calling some of them to a ministry of prayer. A prayer warrior ministry. Listen, that is absolutely vital to the health of any church. That is one of the most important ministries. And God may be calling somebody here to that kind of uh, intercessory prayer warrior. And I believe that is why God allows some of us to, slow, to be slowed down, to be limited. Because the church needs more prayer warriors. And that's one way that we can know that, hey, that's my ministry now because I'm, I'm not able to do anything else. Immediate service, unconditional service, consistent service. Is my service cons consistent or conditional? Is it consistent or conditional? Again, I'm not asking you if, you if you've been in the same ministry forever, but are you ministering somewhere? Immediate, unconditional, consistent. Number four, reverential. Reverential obedience. Paul's obedience, notice, brought glory to God, not himself. Glory to God, not to himself. In fact, we praise Paul today, but much of Paul's life, he didn't get a lot of praise. He got a lot of criticism, even from the very churches 
that he had sweat and bled for. Somebody else came along who scratched their ears, told them what they wanted to hear. Paul's obedience, though, brought glory to God, and that was his focus. Am I serving for God's glory? Am I serving for my own glory? Jesus said in John chapter 5, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come unto me that ye may have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God? In John chapter 12, verse 43, speaking of a group of chief rulers who had believed in Jesus, they heard Jesus, they believed what he was saying, but they wouldn't come out publicly and say it. They didn't want to come out publicly and say it. Why? John 12, 43 says, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. John tells us they were afraid the Pharisees were going to kick him out of the synagogues. They were, afraid that, they were afraid that their comfortable worship was going to be disrupted. And so even though they believed in Jesus, they didn't want to put him on their helmet. They didn't want to wear the name. Paul set the example for us to follow. Immediate obedience, unconditional obedience, consistent obedience, reverential obedience. Am I serving for God's glory or if I'm serving or am I serving for my own glory? And the great test of that is what do you do when you don't get noticed? What do you do when the pastor hasn't even learned your name yet? And you get frustrated and you did something and you made a big sacrifice and, and it doesn't get acknowledged. And, and uh, not that there's an excuse for I'm not making an excuse for myself. Uh, I have failed to recognize, to remember many times. I've uh, been told uh, by uh, someone uh, who used to be uh, church secretary that uh, I have a mind like a sieve. And I can't, uh, I can't argue. Uh, I do sometimes have a mind like a sieve. And so I will, I, I'm just telling you right now, I will disappoint you. I will forget, I will forget things. I will forget to thank you sometimes. Uh, and uh, I get really frustrated with myself when I, when I recognize that I've done that. But what I need to remember is that even when I'm not getting praised, even when I'm not getting thanked, I'm not doing it for the applause. I'm not doing it for the thanks. I'm doing it for the Lord's glory. And if I truly am, then uh, that's all that's going to motivate me. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 10, whatever therefore, whether ye therefore, let me start again. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Paul's example for us. Let's just talk very briefly about Paul's authority over us. Paul's authority over us. That's a secondary issue in this text as well. But Paul is telling us by giving us this uh, personal testimony that his apostleship came from God alone. It didn't come from Peter. It didn't come from James. It didn't come from the apostles as a group. It didn't come from the church. Paul's authority came from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And his words are authoritative scripture. We are bound to fall. We are still under the authority of the apostles just because there aren't apostles running around alive today, we're still under their authority in, in this age. We are still under the authority of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and Peter uh, says that in 2 Peter chapter 3, talks about the writings of Paul, and, and Peter's love for Paul is going to become uh, even more um, telling uh, next week when we talk about 
uh, Paul's confrontation of Peter. We'll get to that next week. So God-pleasers commit to obedience. God-pleasers commit to obedience. We follow Paul's example. We obey the commands that the Holy Spirit has given to us through the Apostle Paul. Uh, He is our example for us. He is the authority over us. God-pleasers commit to obedience. Number two, God-pleasers commit to truth. God-pleasers commit to the truth. Listen to chapter 2. Again, uh, picking it up, verse 2, I went up by revelation and communicated. He's talking about going back to Jerusalem. Went up, uh, communicated unto them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue to you. And let me say, to you as well. Paul stood for the gospel, and he got it to the Gentiles, and they got it to other Gentiles, and they got it to other Gentiles, and they got it to other Gentiles who eventually, yada, 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 got it to us. So who's going to get it because of us? Who's going to get it because of us? God-pleasers commit to the truth. Verse 6, but of these who seem to be somewhat, speaking of the apostles, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. But they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. God-pleasers commit to the truth. Uh, God-pleasers contend for the truth. They do not compromise the truth. God-pleasers do not compromise the truth. Now, we have uh, disagreements on some secondary theological issues. We can still fellowship with people who hold maybe a different view of the timing of the rapture than we do or have some uh, different view of even some of the spiritual gifts. We can, we can have fellowship, but what we can't do is fellowship with those who preach a different gospel. Okay, That's what should divide us. That's what should divide us is the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Let me just... Uh, give you a barrage of verses here, machine gun style. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Mark and avoid them. Second Thessalonians 3.14, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. 1 Timothy 1.3, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I was in Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Charge them to stop teaching false doctrine. Titus 3, verse 9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Reject. Admonish him, confront him, but then if he refuses to stop preaching a false gospel, reject him. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. Second John verse 10, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. And one of my favorite battle verses in the Bible, Jude 3, beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. God-pleasers are committed to the truth. 
Notice how Paul lived that out. He went by revelation. Paul went by revelation. Now, I've taught this in the past, and, and uh, I used to think that, that Galatians chapter 2 was just a retelling of Acts chapter 15, the uh, Jerusalem Council from Paul's perspective. But as I've studied this more closely, I, I don't hold to that position. That's the, that's the traditional view, but that's not the view that I would take anymore. Um, I would go with um, uh, Chuck Swindoll and others on, on this, that uh, Galatians 2 is not about the Jerusalem Council. It was not written after, but before the Jerusalem Council. Uh, this is almost certainly Paul's second apostolic trip to Jerusalem. It's the second that he mentions, but it's also uh, almost certainly the second that actually occurred, and it would correlate with uh, Acts chapter 11, where Paul uh, and uh, Barnabas uh, brought relief to poor believers who were in Jerusalem. There was a prophecy that was given, um, and uh, according to this prophecy, uh, there was going to be uh, a need for uh, for financial relief for those in Jerusalem. And so the church responded and, uh, to Agabus's prophecy uh, given by the Holy Spirit. And so they uh, went and uh, took some aid to the Christians in, in Judea, and they sent it, by the elders, uh, sent it to the elders in Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so I, I would uh, say that this is uh, the revelation of Agabus that he's talking about here when God spoke through the prophet and Paul obeyed. Paul didn't just obey when God spoke to him directly. Uh, Paul obeyed all of the true prophecies of God. Paul went by revelation. And secondly, Paul communicated, notice, Paul communicated privately to them who were of reputation. Now, one of the reasons I don't, I don't any longer believe this is the Jerusalem Council is because the Jerusalem Council was a very, very public event. And it involved uh, the apostles and elders. It was a big, big deal. Uh, Paul says this was a private deal. This was a private. Now, why, why was it kept private? Well, notice again in chapter 2, he says uh, in verse 2, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. This is one of the most shocking statements in the book. Uh, what Paul's about to say is one of the most shocking things in Galatians, and there are some shocking statements in the book. Paul is not saying that he doubted whether he was speaking the truth or not. That's not what he's saying. Amen. Paul knew. Paul, the, the whole point of this section is I knew what God had said and I was obeying him and I was not basing it on what other people said. That's the whole point of this passage beginning in chapter 1, verse 10. But what Paul is saying is I was concerned not about the truthfulness of my message but about the fruitfulness of my ministry. That's what Paul was concerned about. Paul was concerned because the false brethren were so effective, because the devil is so good at this. Amen. The devil is so good at distorting the gospel, just a little bit, just, just a little leaven in the gospel to make it something else. He was concerned that his ministry, that his teaching, was, that all the work that he, had, that he had built was going to get knocked out from under him and he was going to have to start from scratch. False brethren unawares had already infiltrated the church and they were intent to bring legalistic bondage by adding circumcision to the gospel. Uh, if you're not sure what circumcis circumcision is, uh, you can go home and ask uh, one of your parents uh, what circumcision is. That's what I told my students when I was uh, teaching at CCA. Uh, I had one of my students say, what, what is circumcision? I said, uh, 
young lady, go home, talk to your parents about that. Uh, and then when she realized what it was, she got really red in the face. And, um, uh, but they were, they were saying that in order to be saved, you have to also be circumcised. You have to become a Jew in order to receive the blessings that God's promised to the Jews. Uh, it made a lot of sense if you take the Bible out of context. A lot of things make sense if you take the Bible out of context. But they were saying you had to be circumcised to become a Christian. Now, here's, what, here's what's so shock, shocking about this. Paul is concerned about the integrity of the apostles. Think about that for a second. Paul's concern is for the integrity of the other apostles. You say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. Is it? Put yourself in Paul's place. First century. Started out with 12 one of them turned out to be a traitor, Judas Iscariot. Next week, we'll see one of the apostles, the main one, did get influenced by this. Amen. He did get influenced by this. This was not a ridiculous concern that Paul had. And friend, if the apostles, if Paul was concerned about the apostles, you better believe that we have to guard ourselves about, about this. We have to guard our hearts about the gospel. We have to make sure that we are committed to the truth. Paul was concerned that if the apostles themselves had been influenced by this teaching, as Peter later would be, that it would have an impact on Titus. But Paul said, you know what? Even Titus, even Titus who was younger and in, in, apparently younger in his faith at this time, who wasn't as grounded as he would later be in his life and ministry, even Titus was faithful to the truth at this time and was not willing to be circumcised. Titus knew, I, I, hey, I don't need to be circumcised. I'm already saved. I'm saved. I don't, don't, don't tell me I need to be circumcised to be a Christian. I'm, listen, I have the Holy Spirit. I know, I know I'm saved. But there's, a, there's an example here that Paul gives to us, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little more next week because next week we're going to see, uh, we're going to talk about public confrontation. But whenever it is possible, confirm your fears privately before you go public. Confirm privately before confronting publicly. Don't get on Facebook. Listen, I've been guilty of this. You, hear so, you read a meme, you hear something, you read an article, it's, it's not true, and you find out it's, a fake, it's fake news, and, you, and then you're embarrassed, and then you discredit yourself. Don't, whenever possible, don't assume the worst until you have privately, when possible, not always possible, but when possible, privately Confirm, hey, is this true? Is this story true? Did, that, did you really say that? Did you really do that? Confirm privately before confronting publicly. But again, Paul refused to compromise the truth of the gospel. And when we get to chapter 5, we're going to see this command to stand fast. Stand fast in the freedom, in the liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let anything get added to the gospel. Amen. Nothing. Paul refused to compromise the truth of the gospel. Now, Fortunately, at this point, the apostles had not been compromised. The apostles had not compromised the truth of the gospel. And so we see in verse 6, but of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now he's talking about Peter and James and John. He's talking about the pillars of the church, we would say. And Paul says, look, they're just dudes. They're just servants too. I'm just a servant. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm humbled when people call me pastor. I pray it never goes to my head. 
uh, I'm just a dude. I'm just a servant. That's what Christ has called me to do. Uh, I'm, I'm not anything special in and of myself. I have a special calling. I have a special responsibility. But uh, Paul said, look, I'm, I'm just a servant. I'm a slave of Christ. I'm not wearing an apostle on my badge, you know, like I'm some big, big thing. And Paul said, that, and I didn't think anybody else was like that either. You know, I love, um, uh, my wife isn't intimidated by, uh, you know, when she was a floor nurse. Now she's a nurse practitioner. But when she was a floor nurse, she wasn't intimidated by the doctors. Uh, some nurses are. Some nurses can be intimidated by the, by the doctors and the white coats. And she was never uh, like that. She wasn't intimidated. We, we have to stop being intimidated by people's ranks. There is no rank in the church except for one, okay? The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's the chief shepherd. I'm just a servant. We're all just servants. Um, and so as God-pleasers, we have to commit, number three, and lastly, to teamwork. Commit to teamwork. God-pleasers pursue collaboration, not competition. We are not in competition with any church of like faith and doctrine. We're not. We're not in competition. If somebody gets saved here and ends up uh, worshiping in another church, praise God. That's a win for our team. Okay, we're on the same team. We're not in competition. Uh, some pastors forget that. And I, again, I pray that, that, to God that, I, um, that I'm never become one of those pastors. Uh, my dad taught me that. My dad wasn't ever like that. He'd get frustrated. We'd go back to Liberty and, you, you know, the, um, the, the comparisons and the competition that some pastors get into. Um, I, I don't want any of that. Uh, Paul was not intimidated by anyone's calling, anyone's gifting. And once he was confident of their faithfulness to the truth, listen, they shook hands. They said, look, we're in partnership. We're in fellowship. You have a ministry to the Jews. I have a ministry to the Gentiles. But we're all on the same team here. And we're all working for the kingdom of God. We're all working for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to win as many Gentiles and you win as many of the Jews. And we'll give God the glory. And that's the way that we all need to do they were preaching the same Gospels. They were preaching the Gospel in different ways, but it was the same Gospel. And we'll talk more about that uh, when we get into uh, farther into chapter 2 and 3 when we talk about the one Gospel. And then lastly, uh, they just agreed to remember the poor when preaching the Gospel. Remember the poor. Don't just preach the Gospel to the rich. Remember the poor. Uh, Paul was there in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 11, because of the needs of the poor. And uh, we don't believe in uh, making people dependent on government or making people dependent on handouts, but we need to remember that God does call us to give people a hand up and that God does tell us to look out for the poor and to take care of the poor. We need to be concerned about the needs of the poor, those who are truly, legitimately poor and we need to get them the gospel as well so a god pleaser commits to three things if i want to be a god pleaser i need to be committed to these three things i need to be committed to obedience unconditional immediate constant reverential obedience i need to be committed to the truth and i need to be committed to teamwork to working together for the kingdom of god uh, kept you a little longer than uh, I had planned, so we're not going to have uh, uh, an invitation time tonight, but I will uh, stay here at the end uh, up front. If you have a need, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you, pray with you. Uh, our, our deacons would do the same. And so uh, we'll close with a word of prayer, uh, but the uh, invitation uh, is extended to you after the service. Uh, we would be happy to pray with you and talk with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Father, uh, thank you so much for... 
the example of men uh, like the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his fire. Thank you, uh, God, for uh, his boldness. But God, we know that um, he needed to pray for boldness. We know that he asked us, or he asked the, the church then to pray for boldness, and he asked us to pray for each other that we would have boldness. And so, God, may we pray for each other uh, to have the kind of commitment that Paul exemplified for us to be obedient, to be uh, lovers and defenders of the truth, and, God, to work together for the kingdom of God. It's all for your glory, God, that we do this. And so, God, may we together work to get the gospel out to everyone, rich and poor, uh, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. God, whoever you bring into contact in our lives, bring us into contact with, God, may we be looking for opportunities to give them the hope, to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus. We love you and we thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Hope to see you on Wednesday night. Uh, You are dismissed. God bless. What another great message from Pastor DJ. I hope this has found you well and has made an impact on your life in the name of Jesus. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on and share it with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.